you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 31. Psalm 31. Brother Wayne was praying uh, today uh, that I would be in Amos, and maybe that was, we just need to go back to Amos. Maybe we didn't get it all then, but I will say it does connect in the sense that where we ended in Amos chapter 9, there was the prayer, or the, the idea that um, the rebuilt shelter, the rebuilt tabernacle, the refuge of David uh, would be for God's people. And uh, we've been singing a lot about finding refuge in the Lord and taking refuge in God this morning. And I think that these connect in that way. We are in year four of a 15-year series <laughs> uh, called Summer in the Psalms. The last three years, if you've been here with us, I've given a very similar introduction. Uh, but if you haven't been here for the previous years, I just encourage you, instead of me taking the time to go back through a very similar reason. Why are we doing Summer in the Psalms? What is our approach as we uh, take a look at Scripture? Kind of what are we trying to accomplish each Lord's Day? Uh, go listen to Psalm 1 or Psalm 11 or Psalm 21 from the past on YouTube, and thank you to Aidan Wyant for putting those online. So uh, that is the introduction this morning, and we're going to dive right into Psalm 31. I'll be preaching from the English Standard Version. That decision is also discussed in the previous introductions, uh, but it is also on page 486 in the Bibles in the pew rack in front of you if you'd like to follow along. So will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? To the choir master, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. 
Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I, I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing in honor of it. Would you please be seated? Will you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning asking that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we have heard from Psalm 31, the pen of David, reminder to take refuge in you, to be strong, to take courage, and to wait for you. Lord, we pray now that as I speak, God, that you would move by your spirit and apply the word, illuminate our hearts, and cause us to walk in your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 31 reminds us that there will always be opposition to the faith of believers. Opposition, persecution of believers has been and always will be a challenge for Christians. Wherever Christianity goes, and particularly wherever Christianity grows, there will be persecution and suffering. It may be as simple as insults that are hurled our way, but it can quickly turn into full-on hate and opposition, even to the point of death. You may not think at first this psalm is terribly relevant with the ease with which we exercise our faith here in St. Mary's County, but a good look at history and what's happening in the world around us should show us uh, that some people would be pleased to blot out believers from society and to silence the faithful. There are a number of ways as we study this psalm and think about persecution and finding refuge in the Lord and peace in troubled times, uh, to break the psalm down, to break it down as uh, an outline. And the most simple of those ways is a two-part, a prayer for help and a prayer of thanksgiving. But I've chosen to separate this into six segments this morning. And from those six segments of the psalm, I wish to share with you and commend to you six things to do when faced with turbulent times. Like, for example, when you're confronted with wickedness or persecution for your faith. The truth is, these six principles of faith apply in any number of circumstances in which you might find yourself, so take careful notes and keep these handy, because our Lord and Savior Jesus said to us in John chapter 16, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And then Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. 
but take heart. I have overcome the world. So if it's not turbulent right now, just go ahead and get out of the line to the tiny bathroom at the back of the plane, return to your seat, and buckle your seatbelt, because turbulence is coming. So what did David do when he faced turbulent times? Well, in verses 1 through 5, David prayed confidently, trusting in God in his time of need. So I encourage you, I exhort you this morning, first, pray in faith for deliverance and defense. Pray, pray in faith for deliverance and defense. David cries out to Yahweh, deliver me. Listen, God, hear me as I pray. Rescue me and be a rock of refuge for me. I want to note several things from these first five verses, almost in a staccato style, just brief little remembrances and tidbits as we pray for the Lord's help. First of all, note with me the importance of Yahweh's righteousness in David's deliverance in verse 1. It is not the righteousness of God, our deliverance as New Testament Christians as well. David does not appeal to his own righteousness. He appeals to God's righteousness. And so we must remember that our salvation is based on Christ's righteousness and not our own. Note with me, secondly, how David prays to God in verse 2, be a rock of refuge for me. I had the privilege of going to Israel, and one of my favorite places, not only in Israel, but one of my favorite places, I would dare say, in the entire globe that I've had the privilege to be at was En Gedi. It's a beautiful oasis in the desert of Israel. Uh, I can distinctly remember being in the midst of the rocks and the rock formations there and the uh, seeing the rock badgers and the various deer, and you can, you can think about, like, for example, he keeps my feet like the feet of a doe, right? Like how they're kind of staying on the ledges of those cliffs of sort, and the, uh, the Lord is my rock and my refuge, you know, just thinking of these massive caves and places where David could take refuge, and then seeing from that location the, the Dead Sea and just the beautiful picturesque place it was. So David asks God, be a rock for me to protect David. But then look at verse 3, where David then turns around and says, for you are my rock and my fortress. God, be a rock for me because you are a rock for me. Now, Charles Spurgeon said that we should learn from this, that we may pray to enjoy in experience what we already grasp by faith. We can pray with our hearts what we know to be true in our minds. We know many things about God from the Bible, from the promises that we read in his word. And when we pray in faith, we ask God to be those things for us personally and experientially. Do we believe that God is our strength? By faith, we ask God be my strength. Let me experience you as my strength when I am weak. Do we believe that God works everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Then by faith, we ask God to work a car accident for our good, or to work an unexpected job transition for our good, or a tumor, or a disease, or cancer for our good. Experientially, we know it to be true, 
God, help me experience this. When we don't know where the money will come from for tuition or a medical bill, for the rent or mortgage or groceries, for retirement, we often will ask God, be my provider. Well, we do this in faith because we know that God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. By faith, David claims what he already himself knows about God to be true and asks God for him to be able to experience it as true. I find that to be a very helpful reminder for us when we face times of trouble. Notice now with me in verse 3, David prays that the Lord would do all of this for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Like the beloved Psalm 23, David asks God here to lead and guide him for his name's sake. As we turn to God in dependency and prayer, God can bring glory to his own name as we trust in him and as he does what only he can do in delivering and protecting us and defending us. Take heart, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. He will get the glory as we face turbulent times. And then finally, before we leave this section, I'm sure you noticed the phrase in verse 5 that our Lord Jesus said when he was on Calvary, into your hand I commit my spirit. David understood that the greatest treasure a person has is their spirit. Not our body, not our estate, our spirit. And the safest place that a person's spirit can be kept is in the hand of our Heavenly Father. As Spurgeon said, it came from him, that is, our spirit came from him, It is his own. He has sustained it in the past. He is able to keep it, and he is most fit that he should receive it. I think of the first question, what is our hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong to God, body and soul, life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. All things are safe in God's hands. What we entrust to the Lord will be secure both now and in that day towards which we are hastening. Now, David may have used this phrase to show that he put himself and all of his hopes and his cares into the hand of God. But in a more profound way, Jesus used this same phrase to demonstrate that he was in complete control when he died on the cross. Of his own will, he gave his life. He said in the Gospel of John, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In other words, Jesus did not surrender his life despondingly to death for destruction. But with triumphant consciousness, he entrusted his spirit to the Father for resurrection. That's to get an amen, because that's why we're here on sunday for the lord's day he entrusted his spirit to the father because he knew that he would lay down his life and take it up again this is why christians are more than conquerors brothers and sisters because neither life nor death are able to separate us from the love of god when trouble comes and the storm makes life turbulent Pray to God that he will deliver and defend you and know ultimately that your spirit, like Christ, is is in safekeeping in the hands of our Heavenly Father. 
Look secondly with me now to verses 6 through 8, where we see David express his gratitude and trust up front early in this psalm. The rest of the psalm is a bit of a roller coaster. It goes up and down and down and up and around. But he knows the end and how things are going to end up before he begins. So from these verses, I suggest that when you are faced with turbulent times, you should jump to conclusions by faith, so to speak. Jump to conclusions by faith, so to speak. David is not yet done with the trial he's facing. He's just resolute in his understanding that the deliverance for which he prays in verse 1 is as good as done by verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says, You have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Oh, for the eyes of faith that we too might jump to the end of the matter when we pray. God, I don't know what you're up to. I don't know how you will work all this out, but I know you and I trust in you. Do you see that in verse six? I trust in the Lord. We need the Psalms to instruct us. We need LBC prayer warriors to grow in our expectancy that God will work. We are not crying out to gods of stone or wood. We are calling out when we pray to the living God who has power to answer and deliver and defend and protect that most treasured jewel of our spirit. David goes on to say, I not only don't trust in the idols that others place their hope in, I hate that they do that because I know you hate it too. Remember in Amos how we talked about hating the things God hates. There it is. There's our Amos for Brother Wayne. Hating the things that God hates. Now, quick, quick little side note here, uh, because this text says, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols. Uh, evil deeds and attitudes are difficult at times to separate from the people who commit the evil deeds and hold those attitudes. So scripture occasionally speaks of hating the persons like it does here. And for example, in Psalm 119, verse 113, and in Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. But however, comma, the scripture also affirms that believers are not to hate their neighbors, but to love them. That is the second commandment that we heard Pastor Allen share earlier. And uh, all throughout Scripture, there is this command not only just to love our neighbors, but even to pray for our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So when we couple the clear teaching of all the New Testament and other Scriptures with the way that the Hebrew poetry works, we want to get to the point of these parallelisms of the phrases. In verse 6, the, the bottom line says, but I trust in the Lord, the B line and that's the opposite of what's happening in the A line or the first part of verse 6. These folks don't trust in the Lord. They don't trust in him, and David strongly opposes the path of the wicked and their misplaced trust, but he trusts in Yahweh. So we conclude in this section, verses 6 through 8, that we may jump to conclusions by faith with that kind of trust that God will work in advance of even the end of the matter 
coming to the conclusion, we believe that he will act as we pray. But then notice in the next five verses, David prayed for grace while describing his situation in a detailed lament. So I encourage you, thirdly, lament the circumstances and ask God to be gracious. This is not at odds with faith-filled trust. It's not at odds to believe that God will work it out and to also be sad that it's happening and sorrowful and to pour out your heart to God. One can have confidence in God's ultimate deliverance and still grieve the present circumstances of tribulation. In David's case, he was about to die. Sin was taking an effect on his physical well-being. He was also rejected by friend and foe alike. There were plots being made against his life. I wonder, do we often forget that while we are praying that God is omniscient? You know, that God knows all things? What good would it have done for David to hold back as he's praying to God with all the problems that he was facing? Like sometimes I think we think that God is too busy or that he can't handle our messiness for us to just open up and lay it all out before his feet. But David full-on laments and he grieves over the full extent of all the contributing factors to his distressing situation. Whatever that specific occasion for this psalm may have been, the proverbial dung had passed through the oscillating air propeller. His enemies dreaded him like a disease and acted as though he didn't exist. Incidentally, young people, those of you who are in high school or middle school, that is the way the world treats its best friends. You might be part of the in crowd today and on the outs tomorrow. Our Lord Jesus experienced this, of course, when he fed the crowds, they came flocking to him and wanted to make him king. But when he stood on trial before Pilate, the crowds yelled, crucify him. Frankly, Jesus' own disciples ran away and denied that they even knew him in the hour of his greatest distress. So hear me, there is no friend you will have like the Lord. And David knew to appeal to his grace. David says in verse 9, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. And then he lamented the details of the circumstances to the God he knew that would see and understood the turbulent times he was facing. Fourthly, look at the way David again expressed trust and cried out for deliverance. And the lesson that we learn from verses 14 through 18 is that during turbulent times, we need to lay hold of God and his covenant love. Lay hold of God and his covenant love. God himself is what David needed. Do you see that at the heart of verse 14? I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Can you agree with the preacher who once said that it is worth more than 10,000 mines full of gold to be able to say, you are my God? We talked about junior church workers before the message. 
I'll tell you what the godly saint Miss Betty taught me during junior church at First Baptist Daytona Beach growing up. If you know this song, sing along. <clears throat> me, me, me. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers and the rocks and rills, the sun and the stars that shine. Wonderful riches more than tongue can tell. He is my father, so they're mine as well. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know that he will care for me. All right, three of us knew that. That's okay. Vicky could have come up and we get Sierra, we could have done a trio on that one there. Isn't that the conclusion? The conclusion of that little children's song exactly where David concludes in verse 15. I know that you will care for me. He says in verse 15, my times are in your hand. Meaning all the seasons and the changes that we pass through, the variety of tribulations we face, all of them are in his sovereign hand of power. The changing times we face reveal in us various aspects of Christian character that God is working out in us. And the changing times we face in faith ultimately strengthen that character. That endurance produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured in our heart through the Holy Spirit. They also lead us, those changing times, to admire an unchanging God who is faithful in every season but now let's look at verse 16, where the core of the fourth point comes from. David says, make your face shine on your servant. In parallel, save me in your steadfast love. That word for steadfast love is the Hebrew word chesed. And that is the loyal covenant love of the Lord. A never changing, unbreaking and unfailing kind of love. And David's petition for that saving and steadfast love is in parallel to language that comes from the blessing found in Numbers chapter 6 and verse 25. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. David knows that to see the light of God's face is to experience the graciousness of God's saving covenant love toward him. And do we not in Christ receive that same unshakable love of God. What can separate us, dear saint, from the love of God? You know the answer. It's found in Romans chapter 8. Nothing. Brothers and sisters, when turbulent times come, lay hold of the covenant love of God for you in Christ Jesus. Look now to verses 19 through 22, in which David, with gratitude in his heart, expected great blessings to follow. It leads me to exhort you during turbulent times to thank God for his promises, protection, and presence. Thank God for his promises, protection, and presence. Thank him for the promises of Romans chapter 8. Thank him for the promises of Jeremiah 31, the new covenant promises there, and then Ezekiel 36 or Hebrews 13, 5 that we studied in our Bible fellowship, that he will never leave us and never forsake us. 
You see, friends, David knew what was in store for him and for all who take refuge in God, who ask God to be their protector. We often have studied in the text of Amos and in other places of the Bible where either people are storing it up for themselves, the wrath of God, or God is storing up his wrath for sin. But do you notice now for the man or woman of God what God is storing up for you? Goodness. David said, uh, and remember that this was even though he was walking through the proverbial valley of the shadow of death, he knew that goodness and mercy would follow him all the days of his life. So thank God, be grateful to him in full faith that he has good things in store for you, stored up in verse 19, for those who fear him. They may possibly be seen in this life, but they will certainly be received in the life to come. And David says in verse 20, they are stored in the cover of God's presence. David knew where the treasure of endless pleasure and eternal reward would be. As he said in Psalm chapter 16, the midcom of David at the end of the psalm, you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want you to hear me very clearly. Some of you who have been seeking and chasing and uh, striving in this life for contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment. Listen, the Christian faith is not about constantly denying pleasures and living a stoic life of dullness and boringness. Quite the contrary. The Christian faith trades the fleeting and temporary pleasures of sin for the eternal and lasting pleasures of being in the presence of God himself. He is, as the psalmist said, our very great reward. And the immeasurable goodness that is stored up for believers will be found in a place where no human tongue or scheme can ever destroy them. Store up for yourselves, Jesus said, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor thief nor rust destroy. Finally, we see in the last two verses of Psalm 31, that David encouraged others to wait for the Lord and be strong in faith whenever they face turbulent times. It was not enough for him to personally rely on the Lord during those moments and keep it all to himself. He was compelled to exhort others to love God and be strong in faith. Faith in turbulent times has a personal outworking, and hear me, a corporate outworking. The members of the body of Christ need to hear you encourage them to love and good works for the days are evil. They need you to speak to them in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They need you to exhort them to love God and treasure him. Catch this, even as you walk through life's turbulent times. Not just when the times are good. We saints need to hear you sing, great is thy faithfulness as you struggle with cancer. We saints need to hear you encourage us towards love and good works as you fight in faith through every day with a family trial you're facing. 
So don't just walk through your trial alone. As the Holy Spirit strengthens you, and as your faith swells and rises above the tribulation you're in, tell others of your love for the Lord. Love him. Wait for him. Be patient. He preserves the faithful. He's preserving me. He will abundantly repay. Encourage us. Encourage one another with these words. Your testimony matters. Share it in your Bible fellowship. Share it in your life group. Tell one of the elders your story so we can have you share it with the congregation. And when you do, tell your brothers and sisters, be strong. Be of good courage, just like Joshua said. We must exhort one another to fight the fight of faith, and then let's all wait and see how God shows up.